0: Shannon Siders was born on March 31, 1971 in Michigan and was raised in Nuego, Michigan, a town with a population of 2,471 people and about a three-hour drive from the capital, Detroit. Shannon was described as a typical child growing up. When Shannon was a child, her parents split and Shannon's father was granted full custody. On July 17, 1989, Robert Siders, Shannon's father, left the house around 10 30 p.m for his night shift at the pepsi cola plant shannon who was 18 was home alone when bob left and made the decision to go out with her friends for the evening at around 8 30 in the morning robert returns from work and notices that shannon isn't in her room he immediately started calling a few of shannon's friends and parents to ask if they knew where shannon was shannon would occasionally be at the neighbor's house and he walked outside to yell for her but he got no answer. Robert wasted no time in going straight to the police to report his daughter missing. Robert created flyers which he distributed locally and even sent to the various police departments in the state. People began contacting the police. People began contacting the police after the flyers were put up. And once they learned of Shannon's disappearance, they claimed to have seen many sightings of Shannon. According to one witness, Shannon was hiding from her father because she didn't wanna go home, when they spotted her in a drug house. Police went to the drug house to look into the tip and discovered there was a lady inside the house, but it was not Shannon Siders. Two boys are out in the woods on Labor Day weekend in 1989, when they discover two pieces of identification with Shannon's name on them. The location is known as the Hole in the Woods, and this was a popular spot for teens to mingle, smoke, drink, party, all that. The Michigan State Troopers were called out to further investigate and they also found a pair of blue jeans. Robert Siders began looking around the area where he stated that he was terrified to go because he wasn't sure if he was looking for a body or a grave. On October 15, 1989, three months after Shannon disappeared, a deer hunter was in the same location on the southern edge of the Manstee National Forest, where the two pieces of identification were discovered. The hunter discovered a body and reported it right away to the Nuego police. Around 10pm, Robert receives a call from the owner of a nearby restaurant, informing him that they have discovered a body and they think it's Shannon. When Robert arrives at the police station after midnight, they are able to positively identify Shannon's body. The police tell Robert that if he had continued looking in that location a little further, He would have found his daughter's body. The medical examiner was brought in and she was beaten to death, and her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head. The motive for the murder was quickly identified by police as being sexually motivated. Shannon's shirt was pushed up and her underwear was around one of her ankles. She was lying on her back with her legs spread out and her genitals were mutilated. Robert started planning Shannon's funeral but avoided seeing her body because he couldn't face seeing his daughter in that state. He had trouble choosing the pallbearers because his daughter's murder was never solved which meant that the killer was still at large and there was a good probability that the killer knew her. Furthermore he was unable to choose any men to be pallbearers because one of them could be responsible for her death and they could have been the same ones carrying her body. Robert decided that the pallbearers would be all female cousins. And the majority of the high school attended her funeral julia one of shannon's friends said shannon was a kind and understanding person who you could open up to without fear of judgment and she thought that they would have been close friends long after high school several of shannon's friends asked robert if they can put the letters they wrote to shannon on her casket and robert agreed a profile was to be developed by the behavioral analysis unit of the michigan state police They believe that Shannon was murdered by a person similar in age from her friend group. There were multiple killers and there is a fair possibility that drugs and alcohol played a role. They also believe that this crime had a sexual motive. In this little community, rumors began to circulate about potential suspects. Some murderers take trophies from their victims. And Shannon had a class ring with her initials and an inscription. But the ring was never found in the house, and it wasn't found on her body or at the crime scene. To pinpoint the precise period of time Shannon was murdered, a forensic entomologist was called in. Now, people who specialize in forensic entomology are able to establish the time of death using bugs found on the body. The entomologist was able to pinpoint Shannon's murder to sometime between the latter few weeks of July and early August. Police learned that eight people, not just one, had seen Shannon and each of them needed to be questioned. We already established that once Robert Siders went to work, Shannon decided to hang out with some local kids in the woods where they were drinking and smoking. There were eight people that arrived in three separate cars. Witnesses claim that Shannon had been driving around with Brandon Seavers and Levi Pearson at the end of the evening. According to Shannon's friends, Shannon didn't like being around Brandon. Brandon was creepy, and he often made her feel uncomfortable. And he didn't think highly of women. He frequently called them whores and sluts. After Shannon disappeared, tips were calling in saying that Brandon had left town. When Brandon was brought in for questioning, he claimed that Shannon had wanted to go home that night, but with other people, and that he hadn't seen her since she left. When questioned about leaving town soon after her disappearance brandon replied that he had only been gone for a day or two because he had gone to colorado to pick up his cousin and bring him back shannon got into a car with paul and matt jones according to information obtained by police from speaking with the other individuals paul and matt jones are brothers from Nuego. They speak to the brothers, who claim that Shannon invited them over to drink beer and watch a movie, and Shannon left the get-together with Paul and Matt Jones. They noticed the dog inside and that the porch light and the television were both on, and the brothers passed a polygraph test. As time passes, the tips gradually stop trickling in, and eventually the case goes cold. Robert was determined to do all in his power to make sure that no one forgot what happened to Shannon. He rented a billboard that said, Who Killed Shannon Siders? 22 years later, in August 2011, there was a chief who took the job in Nuego. By this time, there was a new administration and they put together a cold case task force together and they reopened Shannon's case. They started by creating a victimology profile to learn more about Shannon. They talked to her friends, families, and acquaintances. Something they all said was that Shannon always wore her class ring on her right hand, and the ring was still missing. The chief went to the woods where Shannon's body was discovered and started looking for the ring using a metal detector, and this was one of his hobbies. Metal detecting. But he was never able to discover anything. When Shannon was murdered in 1989, Amy Bonner was a 15-year-old volunteer at the police station. Twenty-two years later, she was still just as eager to help in the investigation. She wasn't a detective, but she was acting like one by speaking up to ten people a day if they had any information regarding Shannon's death. She created a Facebook page, which is how she met the chief. He created a Facebook page about Shannon, hoping someone had information on her case because, as he put it, things are easier to say over phone than in person. Amy gets a message on Facebook from a woman by the name of Stephanie. In this message, Stephanie discusses her family, who have a rather horrible reputation due to incest and abuse. And she thinks that they might have been involved in Shannon's murder. Shannon tells Amy that their family house has a creek that flows beneath it. And Shannon was held captive in the basement for a few days where she was drugged and sexually assaulted. She then states that they led her into the woods and ran her over stephanie brings amy to the house and there is in fact a creek running under the house amy calls the chief they knock on the door and the homeowners who have been convicted of several assaults and attempted murder answer the door police look around and there was no basement and there was never a basement in the house police tried another lead the letters that were placed on shannon's casket at the funeral were known to police a rumor began going around that there was a confession to her murder in the letter. Police asked Robert if they could exhume Shannon's body, and he agreed. Police read the letters, but there was no confession. The police continued to further investigate the body. The police continued to further investigate the body when they found pieces of hair in Shannon's hand. They submitted the hair samples and then the test came back as her own hair. It felt like they kept running into a wall like they were getting nowhere over 400 people were questioned and julie shannon's friend provided some fresh information that wasn't included in the original police report in 1989 according to julie she and shannon planned to hang out together after julie got off work she arrives at shannon's house after work at 11:45 pm but no one answers the door Julie would return to the house every half an hour and knock on the door. At one point, Julie walked inside and went to Shannon's room, but found she wasn't there. Julie claims that when she returned to the house for the last time, it was about 3 in the morning, Shannon was still not there. Police go back and listen to the interrogation audio from Paul and Matt Jones in 1989 because they claimed they dropped her off between 12 and 1 a.m., but Julie knocked on the door multiple times even walking into Shannon's house and she wasn't in her room. Police thought if Matt and Paul claimed to have dropped Shannon off because she was tired, she would be in her bed sleeping. Everyone who was associated with Paul and Matt Jones is now being questioned by the police. Shannon had a friend named Lindsay who also happened to be Paul's former girlfriend. She claimed that one day when she was given a ride home, by him, she discovered a girl's ring in his ashtray, and she asked about the ring because why was there a girl's ring in your boyfriend's car? Paul then said quote, "Let's face it, she's probably dead." Unquote. Police were fairly certain that Paul and Matt Jones killed Shannon, but there was no concrete proof, only circumstantial evidence. The numerous people Amy spoke with advised her to speak with a woman named Jenny Corrigan, who just so happened to be a friend of hers. On July 18, 1989, Jenny started recounting the events of the evening and Amy dialed 911. According to Jenny, she was with Dean Robinson on the evening of July 18, 1989. Dean was brought in by police and together they began to say what actually happened. They state that Jenny was not with Shannon and the eight kids at the little get-together, she was driving around with Dean Robinson. They spot a parked car as they continue into the wooded area, so Dean exits the vehicle while Jenny remains inside. The men identify themselves as Joneses, and Jenny overhears them say that they're looking for a girl, which indicated to police that Shannon had escaped the brothers who were now hunting her down dean and paul jones then part ways when the brothers got up to shannon they beat her to death took turns raping her then crushed her skull jenny claimed that she and dean were traveling through the area once more when they noticed the boys and a female unconscious on the ground outside of their car dean exits the vehicle trips and falls before identifying shannon sider's body on the ground paul then approaches dean and kicks him in the face Matt Jones starts walking towards Dean with a hammer and Jenny begins blowing the car horn and the brothers didn't realize that someone else is in the car, so they leave. 45-year-old Matt Jones was found guilty of first-degree murder in 2015 and given a life sentence. 43-year-old Paul Jones was found guilty of second-degree murder and given a sentence of 30 to 75 years in prison, with the possibility of parole in his 70s. Today, some balance may result but nothing in this world will ever replace the hole you created by taking the life of this precious soul or the life you have injured, including your own family." Quote. In 2021, Dean Robinson, who told police what he knew about the murders, claimed in a sworn affidavit in May 2021 that he recanted his entire statement and that the law enforcement fed him the confession. He states, quote, I was lying under oath when I testified about any matter involving Matt or Paul Jones being involved in a homicide. My testimony during the trial of the above captioned matter was given to me by law enforcement. He goes on to say, quote, Moreover, I was not injured by Matt or Paul at any point in my life. Up until the point I testified during the trial, I had never met or seen Matt or Paul Jones. End quote. Dean Robinson was convicted of assault and sentenced to over a decade in prison, not relating to the Shannon Siders case at all. Robert Siders states that you aren't supposed to bury your children. They are supposed to bury you. Shannon Siders would have been 52 years old this year. And Robert believes that she would have been a great mother. My thoughts? I just want to remind you that Paul and Matt Jones passed their polygraph tests, which lets you know how very unreliable they are. Robert's only child was Shannon. She was his entire world. And as we all know, I'm a little emotional when it comes to these cases. I get emotional knowing that Robert is an elder and he's all by himself. He doesn't have his daughter with him, and he doesn't have his grandkids. I applaud Robert for making the decision to have all female pallbearers because that's his daughter, and he was gonna protect her right until the very end. I'm glad Shannon got the justice she deserved, and once again, I applaud Robert's hard work for getting the word out and keep fighting for justice. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday, there is a new episode at 7 a.m. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram at Criminal criminalcuriositypod. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone. <laughs>